Welcome to Show Missouri. This is Missouri one county at a time. This week we are in one of the most historic counties in the entire state of Missouri. We are in Marion County, formed December 23rd, 1826th, 32nd County, formed in the state of Missouri, named for the old Swamp Fox, General Francis Marion of the Revolutionary War. 444 square miles just up the Mississippi River, uh, almost as far as you can go in Missouri on the Mississippi River. Uh, it's the county with two courthouses, and we are in the one in Palmyra today, joined by David Wilson. I'm going to call him local historian, Mr. Everything, maybe. <laughs> Whatever. You're going to hear that voice, and you're going to think it's, uh, you're, going to, you're not going to have a hard time believing he's a music teacher and all sorts of things. So thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. And it, it, you, I'm going to take a picture by a minute, but you'll see he has on the, uh, the overalls that I will be sporting here in about four hours after, after we get done here. David Lomax, presiding commissioner. Commissioner Lomax, thank you for having us. Thanks for coming up, sir. A voice that most folks on that listen to this will recognize, Representative Lewis Riggs. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming up. And Henry Sweets with the uh, Mark Twain Boyhood Home and Museum. Uh, thank you for joining us, sir. Glad to be here today. Now, tell folks that are going to come up the Avenue of the Saints how they can find the Mark Twain Museum online and how they can drive to it. Well, if you're coming into Hannibal, there are signs along all the avenues that point you into downtown Hannibal. You just want to come into very downtown Hannibal. The Mark Twain Boyhood Home is about two blocks from the Mississippi River, right downtown. Easy to find. And for the Mark Twain Museum, if you can just remember, marktwainmuseum.org. Gotcha. Uh, that gets us into the website that we have. And uh, when can folks come tour the museum and, and, and see everything you have to offer? Other than a few holidays in the year that everybody would uh, anticipate, we're open seven days a week. Nice. And during the summer months, we're open from nine to five, seven days a week. Awesome. Well, appreciate your time, sir. Glad to be here. We're going to talk about uh, Hannibal's most famous resident, but first we're going to talk about another famous pair that came down the river. Now, the way I read it is around 1860, I'm, uh, uh, I guess it would be 1760, Marquette and Joliet uh, came down this way, right? Now, you don't know if they stopped here or if they didn't, but they certainly came down the river sometime that spring. Uh, then I read where the first settler here would be Lewis Hennepin. Am I saying that right? Father oh. Hennepin. There you go. Uh, came up from St. Louis. Right. He was a Catholic priest, and he settled over here at by, just by the powerhouse, and there's a little park there, and it's Big Spring Park, and there was a spring that flowed flows 365 yeah. days a year and been flowing forever. And uh, that's where the Indians would come and get water, and that's where he settled and to uh, uh, try to... Bring the Indians to Christ. So uh, that's an it. Now we're at the camp here in Pal or the courthouse here in Palmyra. Where would the spring park be? Uh, block and a half to the right block and a half to the, the northwest. And folks, come look at the spring right now today. They still do. Nice, yeah. nice. I read a. Uh, I'm gonna butcher my hillbilly tongue. Will butcher this French name, but Maurice Bouvier was a person that was in the uh, in La in Laclede's uh, group. He did several expositions and set up a business here, uh, one of the first ones actually a little closer to Hannibal. Uh, and from that, from the, the missionary position that, that they set at the spring, then from uh, some of the business folks coming up from St. Louis, 
I guess Hannibal and, and this area just took off, right? And and I, we were talking before we went on the air. It's so interesting that how this state has changed. Missouri, Hannibal was an enormous town at one time compared to other states. Hannibal was a big lumber town, yeah. and steamboats coming up the river at that time were burning mostly wood, and you got it something you got to have got to feed then it had not only wood for construction that went down the river to St. Louis but the uh, the scrap wood went into the boilers of the steamboats to take them on up the river it's amazing how the towns change i mean you if you look back at one time far west in Caldwell County it was a mormon settlement it was like the fourth largest city west of mississippi and then events interceded but how the the the, the demographies really of a country changed i mean i was reading Somebody sent me an old blue book. It was from 1904, and Missouri was the sixth largest state. It's to remember, I guess that it would have been. It had that many members of Congress. They sent mm-hmm. since 17, and that maybe like Pennsylvania, Ohio, New York, just a very few places out outdid us. And that it's amazing <coughs> how people move around and populations shift throughout time. You know, well, we should give the New Madrid earthquake its due. There you because go. a lot of the folks who settled up here originally had land grants there. Of course, New Madrid shook their teeth out and reversed the flow of the Mississippi and all that good stuff. They said, maybe we should move. And that uh, land office basically is now the Senior Nutrition Center here off uh, 168. And I don't know how many million acres uh, over the years were, were distributed through that office, literally the land office business. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the folks who settled Hannibal and Palmar basically at the same time, 1819, um, came up here as uh, Basically, it's a substitute land grant and farther up the river. And the land office is the reason that Elmira is the size that it is. The mm-hmm. land office was the very first land office outside of Washington, D.C., for the disposition of the grounds known as the Louisiana Purchase. I did not know that. And so all these people would come here to file their land grant. And then the reason the stores and whatever else that was here in the community was here to service those people coming through the community and heading north and west. Stagecoach route through we Garter House is still here. Walmart servicing, <laughs> servicing all these people coming in and out. So Palmyra has been basically 3,000 souls for the last 200 years. Yeah. Really? Early on, Hannibal and Palmyra are founded the same year, but Palmyra, because of the land uh, office, uh, quickly grew. Hannibal was very slow in growing. Um, doesn't flood here either. At the uh, uh, north of Hannibal, there was another community that was founded called Marion City. And a lot of land was sold to Easterners to come out and settle there, which they did. And then uh, they were in the floodplain, and flood in 1836 pretty much wiped out Marion City. It was interesting that from Marion City there were comments about Hannibal that was dubbing the town a frog pond (laughs) and uh, other glorious names. And uh, after that flood, those people needed to go somewhere else, and both Hannibal and Palmyra got people moving out of Marion City. Today there's a marker where Marion City was, but... That uh, Hannibal also had some problems with land grants and uh, clear title to the land, and it took a while for those to clear. And 
once they did, plus Marion City, Hannibal started growing, and by being a, a port city on the river, uh, it's, it grew quickly. And by the time of the Civil War, Hannibal was the third largest commercial center in the state of Missouri. I've seen a lot of folks throughout Missouri history, especially right here on the river, the, the earliest counties, you had uh, titles that would come from France. Mm -hmm. Then they were transferred over to Spanish land grants. And then really, the, I think it was only like a day that anybody knew they were back in France before America had bought them. Mm -hmm. and, and all those transfers, and then back in the day, they didn't really have safes to put things in. I, I've seen a lot of folks that, had a, that would produce a French land grant, then they would produce a Spanish land grant, then they would produce an American land mm -hmm. grant. And I basically would take a lot of time to, to sift through and figure out who was going to win well, that. If you've ever run a chain of title on this side of the river, yeah. it's uh, completely different from yeah. And as Representative Riggs mentioned, um, you've got uh, the New Madrid earthquake is what really led to the settlement of Hannibal because the surveyors were up here looking for good places for a community. And Hannibal was recognized as one of those. It's between two bluffs and a reasonably level area down close to the river. Well, then you get the grants for those people coming in on top of everything else. And it was quite a while before they could sort it out and give you clear title to property. What's the interesting thing, because I, I uh, as reading how the, the, the communities grew, and uh, the county was found in 1826, but it was a few years before they could put in a courthouse. They, they did the, the governor always picked a committee of folks that ever picked him from the county, typically. It was Isaac <laughs> Ely, Stephen Dodd, and Charles Tribune. Pike County, the first two were from Rawls County, they were selected to, to pick a county seat. But it, it says here it took a few, it took several years to find a clear title to land to put a courthouse on mm -hmm. because they couldn't figure out, you know, they didn't want somebody else to come back and claiming it. Their first county court was um, James McMahon, William uh, McKelsey, and Elijah Strapp. They met in several houses, but people were coming and very interested in, and it says here a lot of folks were interested in titles. And the commission really didn't have a lot to say over it, but, you know, well, as you know, they'll come and whatever the problem is, they'll come to the commission and think they're going to solve it for them. And so they, uh, I guess the same thing was true here. So they, I, it was interesting, I read, where they moved to the tavern. The tavern of Abram is where they started having, uh, I guess there was a tavern in Palmyra where they could sit and go to the tavern and hold, hold court. I don't think you'd get away with that today, would you? Mm. Might be good. Might yeah. be good. Yeah. Try it. <laughs> the rebel Commission meeting over Rebel Pig. Yeah, they got a conference room in the back. Um, so finally, after they, they either, it says here, they were never had an exact clear title on their land, but they decided they would move forward anyway. And for $750, they built, uh, in 1832, they finished the courthouse, and it, it was actually a pretty good courthouse. Lasted them right at 20 years for back in the day. That's a pretty good amount of time. Not a lightning strike. In 1853, which would be a, a very perilous time to build a courthouse, uh, they built one for $15,750. And then I, this is the story I'm very interested in. So somehow that made it to the Civil War, as very few courthouses in Missouri did. But it survived uh, the Civil War. In 1900, they demolished uh, the courthouse they had, and they appropriated $50,000 each for two courthouses, one in Hannibal, one in Palmyra. Now, Commissioner explained to me the history of the building we're in and how I would think it would be um, an interesting fight over where we put a county seat between these two towns. Well, from what I understand, there are only two counties in the state of Missouri that have two courthouses, Cape Girardeau and Marion County. And there is what is called the Court of Common Pleas. And we're the only two counties that have one. 
and I probably should defer to the uh, person with JD behind their name to explain that, but uh, the Court of Common Pleas was in Hannibal and the Court of County Government was in Palmyra, and I very honestly don't know what the difference was between them. But Not how much, and the difference between law and equity. Uh, common Pleas, 1844, I think, was when it opened. I think Judge Ogle was the last actual official. He, he retired from the bench in the 1990s. Um, the last official, quote-unquote, judge of the Court of Common Pleas. So that was changed 150 years later. We're, we're a little slow sometimes in Missouri. But uh, Lewis County also, a lot of the river counties had multiple courthouses. Uh, Mon Monticello, the county seat, but also there was a, a courthouse in Cannes for a number of years. So uh, that's just one of those things, kind of the quirks of nature of river counties, uh, where you had folks who moved inland. County seats go that direction because they're you know above the, the floodplain, uh, but then you also had folks on, on doing a lot of the commerce along the river that said, "Hey, what about us?" So like Cape Girardeau County, the county seat is not Cape Girardeau, Jackson. Uh, same thing with us, Palmyra, not Hannibal, and the courthouse in Hannibal came along uh, later, obviously, but um, right now is doing approximately 80 percent of the, the caseload, 20 percent here. Uh, so, you know, they just basically evolved on different tracks, and it's one of those little quirks. Somebody could, probably has written a book about, you know, how, how that uh, evolution took place, but um, it's rather unique for us, and uh, it's something that we, we, we hold on to these, these things, and we enjoy telling these tales because they are rather unique in the state. What I read were a lot of your small things, preliminary hearings, tickets, anything small would go through a court of common pleas and so if it was just something small you had to go to the courthouse for you'd go to the common pleas and would be Hannibal but if it was a major case it would come here have they just decided that you get to pick where you want to go and yeah associate division basically handles all of those now. yeah so small claims court is what we call mm -hmm. it today and that's the associate docket uh, handles those and bigger amounts of controversy when they go to the circuit court level and is that can they do, do these circuit court cases in Hannibal too or oh yes so, the, but most of the county administration, I guess, is here? In the courthouse here where we have, well, I think the collector has an office in both. The collector has offices in both, uh, let's see, clerk, treasurer, recorder of deeds, clerk of the circuit court. Assessor. The, uh, assessor has it's his office Hannibal. in Hannibal. Mm -hmm. uh, sheriff has office in both places. Actually, the sheriff's office is now out on the highway with the new jail now. It's no, no longer across the street from the courthouse. <laughs> Treasurer's here. Yeah, I think I mentioned that. Interesting. How does that, how does that work? When it, it, like in a Randolph County, you got folks in Morbley, but the, the courthouse is over in Hartsville, I guess. Sometimes that sets a little bad on folks, a little rival. Does anybody even talk about it anymore? Or do you just figure out a way to, to work it that works for everybody? There was a movement afoot back in, what, the 80s to consolidate everything into one courthouse and, of course, Folks in Hannibal wanted it in Hannibal. Folks in Palmyra said, you know, we've always done it this way. And it went for a while, and then it just kind of disintegrated. Speaking of where folks are from, uh, Commissioner, tell folks how you came to live here in Marion County. Well, I, I actually live, live in the house I grew up in just south of here. Uh, my grandparents were farmers on both sides of the river. Uh, my On my mother's side, I was a lumber family, had a sawmill and uh, cut lumber and farmed and my mother ended up into the uh, went into the cosmetology business and actually served several terms as the uh, president and vice president of the Missouri State Board of Cosmetology. Uh, my father went into construction 
three three Lomax brothers. One went to trucking, one went to mechanics and carpentry, and uh, my dad was a brick, stone, and concrete guy. Uh, and went to Raleigh Engineering School, couldn't cut it, got a degree, <laughs> second choice, uh, Kirksville degree in law, en uh, law enforcement, Hannibal LaGrange degree in science education. That I've, my heart's in engineering, that's all I've really ever done. Uh, engineer for a chemical company in Quincy for a long time and uh, got started into this by showing up at a caucus, I mentioned earlier, when uh, Representative Se uh, Sears was yep. killed in a car crash on the way home from the session and the governor said pick, a, pick two candidates, we'll have a special election in five weeks. And I went to the caucus to see how it was done and I walked out the nominee <laughs> and that was Interesting to say the least. The fifth, well, I think it's now the fifth district. No, fourth district in northeast Missouri is the largest district, like five or six counties, uh, traveling all over that. And it was quite the education. Uh, had the opportunity to move back to Palmyra again and did so, bought, bought Dad's place back and uh, ran for presiding commissioner the first time and lost by just a little bit and then. This last term won by just a little bit, <laughs> and it's been uh, quite the interesting thing. I'm I'm still a chemist for the University of Illinois. Travel around and uh, do site visits and try to be the guy from more than 50 miles away with a briefcase and a silver bullet saying this is what you need to do to fix your system. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bet you some folks are are appreciate the advice, and some folks not so much. Huh? <laughs> Be kind of interesting to me to see the different reactions you get to them when you have those solutions. Um, Mr. Wilson, how'd you come to live here in Marion County? I came here as a school teacher. From where? Uh, I graduated from William Jewell in Liberty. Mm -hmm. That's another story about Palmyra. Um, when old Billy Jewell was going to place his college, it came down to two communities were tied for first place. Palmyra, Missouri, and Liberty, Missouri. William Jewell being the oldest university or the oldest college west of the Mississippi River. Well, William Jewell did not care where his college was placed. He wanted wherever they came up with the most bucks and showed the most interest for him. And Alexander, Colonel Alexander Donovan, mm -hmm. at the last minute, came up with uh, twenty-five, thirty, forty thousand dollars extra money, and with that, Liberty, Missouri, became the home of William Jewell. I don't know that there's a Missourian more underrated for his contribution to the world than Alexander Donovan. That's true. I mean, his mark is all over this state. And especially out, obviously, in Kansas City area, but but uh, probably the most noted Missourian that maybe folks don't know the name of would be would be General Donovan. Part for what he didn't do, which was the uh, order of extermination, sure. he did not carry out. But I mean, he was he was in Mexico taking in the in the Mexican American War. Eighteen twelve. He was the. Now I think they paid him, but he did. He was one of the only people to stick up for the Mormons and say we're not going to kill them and we're going to, you know, it, it's uh, his life is a very interesting life and it's um, the school in Donovan, Missouri, named for him is called the Donovan Dons, um, 
they have since have almost a Don Quixote type guy, but really who their mascot is General Donovan. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who that I didn't know who that was from Adam. Mm-hmm. I really thought that it was named after Don Quixote or somehow that was tied into that until I got to read Missouri history and seeing this figure that was just a giant as day. Served in the same legislature later the uh, representative serves in now. That's a, that's a great story. So I, so Palmyra, you came here because that's where you. Because I came school. here and to teach music. I was supposed to teach in Monroe, but I, uh, when I got to Monroe City, Mr. Langford, the superintendent, had already filled the position earlier that morning. Of course, there were no cell phones. And uh, he made a phone call to Don Hevel and uh, the superintendent here in Palmyra, and uh, Don Hevel said, send him on over. And that's the name of the tune. And uh, that was in 1971, and I never left. Uh, Mr. Weeds, how'd you come to live here in Marion County? Well, I was born in Kentucky. My father was a pathologist, and in 1950, he moved to Columbia, Missouri to teach at the University of Missouri. And I don't know exactly what had happened, but he started commuting to Hannibal to oversee the laboratories in the two hospitals in Hannibal. In 1955, moved our family to Hannibal. So I've been a resident since 1955 of Hannibal and left uh, to go to college. And I taught high school for a few years and came back to the Mark Twain Museum in 1978. Uh, Was the head person at the museum for basically 42 years and uh, retired, uh, well, Step down from being director, let's put it that way. I'm part-time at the museum now. So so this is uh, 44 years that I've been involved with the Mark Twain Museum in Hannibal. That's awesome. Representative Riggs, how did your family come to live here? Oh, gee, we're seventh generation. So I I always tell folks that that either means we really love the place or we never had sense enough to leave. (laughs) Um, My folks, uh, my mother's side in particular, came uh, Virginia through Kentucky through here, which is what a lot of us have done, the, you know, talk about the great migrations, whatever, part of that, uh, actually hit this area before Missouri was a state. Uh, so long history going back to basically 1816. Uh, father's side of the family, different, uh, different area, actually came to this direction from the west, which is sort of counterintuitive in this, this neck of the woods uh, and originally uh, Monroe County. So deep roots um, and it's something here I don't Henry we can go back and forth on this a little bit but um, those of us who who grew up along the river uh, there's just something special about that and we we talk about directions we we know if you you keep going east you're going to hit the river and we orient that way I mean you talk about a sense of place and we uh, remember the Hannibal Park Board we we put six million dollars basically into a riverfront renovation before you leave you need to go down there and walk The Mississippi. So we literally get to look out on the same river that inspired Mark Twain. And it's a privilege. Uh, we love it. Uh, it's something that it's, it, there's just something magical about being able to, to walk alongside the Mississippi and watch uh, the world go by. And that, that just that sense of awe uh, that that river brings. It, folks who don't know what that's like, they, they should. It, it's just something extremely special about what we have here and I'm glad to have grown up in a, a town where we preserve the, the legacy of Mark Twain and to be able to know Henry who's been such a big part of that for so many years. 
Well, let's talk about some other folks that came to, to Marion County kind of like you did. The, by the 1850s, the vast majority of folks that lived here had came up the river. They'd come to the Cumberland Gap in Kansas and Kentucky, and they'd settled here. And I guess that would be... Uh, now, Governor Nixon one time told me most counties that say they had a divided time in the Civil War were probably a little more pro-Confederate, but over time, history makes you want to kind of level that out a little bit. Uh, from what I read, the Marion County was quite pro-Confederacy back in the day. That'd be how, that'd be how it's told here? Mm, yes and no. Mm -hmm. Proximity to Quincy, Illinois, uh, settled mainly by Germans, abolitionists. There was a lot of activity here. The first uh, black man to testify in open court in Missouri testified in Palmyra. I did not know that. And we say, well, not that's great. Late 1830s, early wow, 1840s. Okay. Uh, he was there to testify against uh, Henry Clay Work, who was an abolitionist, who managed to get him to the Mississippi River, but not across the Mississippi River. They were trying to get into to Illinois, which was freedom. And um, he was basically called in to testify against the abolitionist who tried to get him his freedom. And he was convicted. Um, sentence was commuted later, but his son was the gentleman who wrote a, a little tune called Marching Through Georgia. So <laughs> that all happened or starts here. So there, there were some folks who were doing abolitionist-type work. A lot weren't, um, and that, that sets the stage, of course, for the Palmyra Massacre much later on. But uh, there, was, there was a lot of activity going on. There's also reason to suspect that the ammunition that Quantrill shot up Lawrence, Kansas with came from Hannibal, Missouri, Hannibal-St. Joe Railroad. Uh, in, in the days when folks wore Union uniforms that they captured, well, we all spoke the same language. It wasn't like, you know, foreigners uh, able to come over here, took some of the money that they stole from other people on the western side of the state and, and bought ammunition here. Uh, whether that's true or not, we don't know. But that's that's a theory that has been hypothesized. Well, no question. There's records. There was a, a big cannon works here, correct, that, that sold not exclusively to the south but pretty much that that was right here in Hannibal, right, in Marion County, where there was an enormous yeah. munitions. The, the old Welshman's house was, yeah. was basically an armory at, at that point. So, yeah, it's, it's plausible. I don't know if it actually took place because they didn't. Obviously, the folks, bushwhackers, didn't write it down, and most of them didn't survive the war anyway. But. When you get right up to the time of the Civil War, Hannibal, as I had mentioned, was the third largest commercial center in the state. And there was enough uh, Southern sympathy that Hannibal was occupied by federal troops for the duration of the war. Well, I read in March 30, 1861, they raised the Confederate flag at Palmyra, mm -hmm. which ticked off some of the folks across the river, and they came over for a visit, right? Well, um, Ulysses S. Grant came across yeah. for a visit, <laughs> and part of that was, and, and the reason, one of the major reasons that the Union Pacific Railroad went through Rock Island, if we had the existing roadbed here from Hannibal literally to St. Joseph, we're already touching both rivers. Uh, unfortunately, during the Civil War, partisan activity being what it was, uh, Lincoln made a conscious decision, it's not going to go, th we're, we're not going to do this. Uh, so Rock Island, obviously, Iowa, obviously, safe grounded to be looking at, at railroad expansion, which was something, you know, Lincoln had been a railroad lawyer. It was 
you know, top of mind for him. How do we and get this thing going? And he rolled that circuit, right? It was oh, like, yeah. 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 So, the yeah, the, the Civil War basically, uh, Twain enlists a, as a Confederate militia person for, what, six weeks. It wasn't a lot. Uh, wrote something called Private History of a Campaign that failed about his experiences, some of which was embellished, some of which <laughs> I think was factual. Uh, but the first railroad bridge burned during the Civil War was uh, on the border basically between Marion and Shelby counties uh, uh, east of Honeywell over the Salt River. Uh, so Ulysses S. Grant was sent in basically to deal with that and the folks who were running amok in, in this area of the state. Uh, so it was in Shelby County where was like shot, right? Or almost, I mean... Well, the story could yeah, have been killed, or there was a, a skirmish that um, there were some folks who basically vacated the premises ahead of him, and he had the epiphany in, in Monroe County that they're as afraid of me as I am afraid of them, and he never forgot that lesson. And of course, the rest is history. Uh, but uh, yeah, there were skirmishes all across northeast Missouri. But we had third most quote unquote battles slash skirmishes in the Civil War. And most of the time, the people are shooting at each other, know each other. And that's what makes our war yeah, different from the others. Define northeast Missouri. Now, how do you want to do it? As far west as uh, Highway 63. So you put the Battle of Kirksville in that. Yeah. yeah. Athens. Uh, yeah. So we had the farthest northern <coughs> battle in the Civil War right up on the uh, Des Moines River, uh, Clark County. Uh, as far south, basically, Pike County um, would be northeast. But, you know, as, as we're talking about all these things that are taking place around here, you do have the presence of the federal troops. And Hannibal's population went down drastically during the war because people left because of the presence of the federal yeah. troops. River commerce came to thing. a grinding halt as well. In Rolla and Bolivar is where the railroad stopped when the Civil mm -hmm. War started. And the Union took those towns over mm -hmm. and ran them. And it was those towns grew because there was a lot of supplies and stuff being went into there. A lot of locals could sell things to them. It was I read where the different places the federal troops had a long occupation. Like I mean, federal troops occupied a bunch of Missouri towns. But they really had large forces in Hannibal, Ryle, and Bolivar. Two towns took to it and kind of just decided they just become Union towns and. Yeah. And sell to him. Hannibal never did. What, 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 well, what do you if you take a look at the settlement of our state, uh, there was a tendency for the people coming across from the free states, let's say Ohio, Indiana, and so on, to settle south of the Missouri River. And on the other hand, the ones coming over down from Kentucky, Virginia, and so on, the slave states, tended to settle north of the Missouri River. So when the war starts, you've got this funny dichotomy that the northern half is more southern-supporting than the southern half of the state, surrounded by all the free states. And so you've got this whole area up here with a lot of strong southern sympathy and nobody around them. Yeah. Little <laughs> it, Dixie, literally caught in the middle. Yeah. yeah. So you know, if you take a look at the map and see where these areas are, um, it, it, it's just the way that the, the communities were settled. Uh, Clemens is coming from Tennessee to Missouri, settled first at Florida, and then come up to uh, Hannibal. Uh, as you take a look at the families in Hannibal, and so many of them are coming out of the uh, uh, former slave states. 
Every time I drive past the fire station that's in between Vandalia and Mexico, it says Little Dixie Fire Protection District. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder what the history behind that is. Well, thinking of Dixie in the south, that's that's why it's Little Dixie there. Our Mason-Dixon line. Yeah. <coughs> so I, uh, now, what I read about the Battle of Palmyra was very similar to what I was told is Colonel Porter uh, had a very successful run of raiding towns and was recruiting folks and building quite the army, but he lost the Battle of Kirksville. And so it may be an attempt to try to get his, his acclaim back, decided he'd raid Palmyra. And so in, in, uh, in the raiding of Palmyra, I think he, did he make off with some stuff, but he didn't take the town, right? Well, he briefly took the town. But it was very short-lived. He, he ran some people out. And, yeah. yeah. Um, and his, his whole raid, basically, he was on a recruiting mission. And part of his problem was he, he couldn't force the Missouri River. So he was sort of out here on his own. Um, and he was picking up people as he went along. But I think his real motivating principle was to bring people from this area back down south where they could actually be trained and drilled and what have you. So he really didn't have a quote-unquote army. He didn't have a, a really well-disciplined military force, which is always part of the problem when you've got people out with uh, firearms and attitude and whatever else going on and no real, real unit cohesion. Uh, so he raided through, I think he was originally from the Knox County area in New York, um, was was chosen basically for that mission to, to come up here because he knew the area. Uh, so he took uh, Scotland County, took Memphis, basically a, a, a mini uh, version of what later happened at Lawrence, Kansas, basically sealed the town off. Um, he was active, obviously, here, uh, active Bible grow. I mean, there are just, you know, skirmish lines all over the place where, where he came up here. Uh, and his troops come and his troops go. And, you know, that's also success, success on the battlefield begets more success in recruiting. And the opposite, like Kirksville, I guess, is the opposite. In Kirksville, basically, he just went in and got stomped, um, for lack of a better better phrase. Uh, he, he just he should not have taken the battle to the folks that he took him to when he did it. And as a result, that basically you know, detonated his force. So the Union forces that were headquartered here in Palmyra were only here, I thought they were here for the entire, when they, when they came in, I thought they, once they got here, they were here until the conclusion of the Civil War. That's not correct. They Except went about a week, they right? were, Maybe not Well, week. yeah, I don't, don't recall all the, the particulars. I know uh, their the, headquarters is is Stragans right over here. Yeah, I had Provost Marshall here. When Porter raided, they had kind of an outpost from Hannibal here okay. in Palmyra. When Porter raided, they fought for a little bit, then they withdrew. And Porter knew it wouldn't be long till a big garrison from Hannibal would come up and stomp him. So they just stole a bunch of stuff, basically, and raided the town and left. Yeah. But and unfortunately for them, they kidnapped a guy that named was, Anderson Olsen. Right? Yeah, Olsman was a known union sympathizer, what, 60 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, he was taken. We don't know if the, the body was ever found. The come back up right and take over Pelmire again. And said, uh, in so many words, you, you can bring him back or we'll kill 10 of yours. 
and he did not come back. Uh, there's probably a good reason for that. He couldn't come back. He was dead. There's um, a couple stories about that, though. You never know. When you get a character like Porter, right? He later had some success uh, in the war, and sometimes he, they, they write your story a little bit better when you win, and, <laughs> and sometimes when you lose, they, when you lose the war, the South would, uh, like every war, they'll write a little bit better stories. I'll try to pick a couple folks and, and, and hang on to some glory. But it's said that he was was willing to let him free, but he knew that some of Porter's men, like you said, were not disciplined, not trained. We're going to kill him before he ever got back to Palmyra. So he said, "Well, you pick the men you want to take you back and escort you back." Yes, and he died anyway. That that was I think everybody pretty well agrees on that account that he delegated that and, and shouldn't have. And Osman did not appear at the appointed time and. Ten men were taken out and shot. Uh, people th around here think the fairgrounds have always been the fairgrounds. They had the old fairgrounds. Where does that? The old fairgrounds was where those yeah. men were taken out and shot, and nothing ever. There were never their fairgrounds after that. Where would that be from the courthouse here? Um, southeast. southeast. Yeah. Not how far? And Eugene H. Hines Farm is yeah. the was the fairgrounds. Yeah. Uh, just across sixty one. But I'm I'm totally lost here. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not trying to <laughs> I'm just sitting here learning. <laughs> I'm not trying to argue and I but it was again, it was all I've read Robert Devoy, okay, which was the spectator Sosie's book about the Palmyra Massacre, mm -hmm. and that's what you're referring to where they took right. the ten people. Mm -hmm. But it was my understanding that the Union people had Confederates locked up in the jail. Five years. And Sterling Price's group came around, got word to the uh, word got to the uh, uh, Union forces that there was a Sterling Price's group was sitting at Woodland waiting to attack Palmyra. And with that, the Union people all took off heading to Woodland and going to meet Sterling Price's group head on. When in fact, Price came around through the back door, opened up the jail, let the guys out that they had, had uh, detained, and when, when uh, the Union forces realized they'd been hoodwinked, they got back to Palmyra and found out that the Confederates had been released from the jail. With that, they took ten townspeople and said, you either bring them back or we're going to take these guys out and shoot them. This would have been before General Price's raid. Uh, the Palmyra massacre would have been prior to that. Now, there were war crimes all yeah, over. This 1862 prices yeah. big ray was okay. 64. Yeah. Yeah. But there would have been there was numerous war crimes. Uh, a lot of them were in western Missouri by the federal government on the people of Missouri. But there was certainly that that story would not be out of form to have happened again. It did in Macon. Yeah, and Megan, they, they shot the wrong guy. One of the people they rounded up, case mistaken, I did not. He was still dead. Uh, so from this area, there were five out of the jail in Hannibal, five from the jail up here. When you drive back to Jefferson City, if you're headed that way, down on 19 uh, south of Perry Muldrow Cemetery on your left as you're heading down, 
Uh, one of the people who was shot here is buried there. I didn't know that. Um, and last name was Wade. Um, but that whole thing was, was based on the fact that Osmond just did not appear at the appointed time. So the one time Abraham Lincoln and Jefferson Davis agreed on yeah. one thing, it was, we don't need to be doing this. And that but, was a direct result of those two men being taken out and shot. But it, the Palmyra Massacre. Yes. The Palmyra Massacre was covered greatly in France and England as a pretty, I mean, I would say they Savage embellished Americans. it, but it really wasn't embellished. I mean, the story no, no, is that was terrible. A fact. Yeah. And so, but it was definitely widely covered and, and, and at the time was still thought that, that maybe the Europeans would like to come and buy cheap cotton and they might engage in the war on the south side. This was a very, a cause of sympathy. And General, I guess, was it President Davis demanded General McNeil's firing, but he didn't uh, do it. Among other things, yeah. And, and McNeil, um, he had some, some problems. And the whole thing, you know, the lost cause mythology in the south, the partisans wrote immediately. Uh, so a lot of the stuff you see is today, we'd say, well, gee, there's a complete lack of objectivity. There was. Um, so, you know, trying to drill down exactly what the facts were on the ground today. is, well, itself, yeah, right? and yeah. there you go. History fake fake news. Depending uh, on your perspective, right? You know, back to the election of 1800, we, we've always had yeah. fake news. But uh, this was one where, honestly, the, the, the two of them, Davis and, and Lincoln, both from Kentucky, by the way, agreed this is, this is not the way to run this war. But that was... It didn't help the ten folks in Elmira. It did not. But it was interesting. I mean, if you looked at where the, the high point of the South's cause was either to their strategy either to get the Union to, to, to leave them alone, to wear them out, or to get Britain or France to come over and engage on their side, making them leave them alone. And probably the high point of the South internationally was right after this was public because it was truly a black mark on America internationally. Lincoln had a, a, a tension from, from day one because Baltimore was, was in Washington's you know, rear, is 30 miles up the road, trying to thread the needle to make sure that the border states did not become Confederate states. So there are 13 you know, uh, stars on the Confederate flag. Well, one of them was for Kentucky, one's Missouri, neither of which officially declared for the Confederacy. Missouri did briefly, but that was rescinded almost immediately. Well, and your predecessors, the ones that could meet in the show, they voted to succeed. Maybe well, not quite a not, quorum of them, right? Yeah, not my president. Well, in the legislature. <laughs> the, the rump, sure. rump uh, parliament there. But, yeah, that was something where, you know, Lincoln just flat out did not need that kind of publicity yeah. when he's trying to keep everybody on side. He's got the... Emancipation Proclamation has already formulated it. He's trying to look for a good place uh, to, to introduce that, and this kind of thing just was not helping his cause. So, yeah, there were some geopolitical implications of, of this massacre that were not, were not anything that the Union wanted to deal with. It's just so interesting to me to think that how far, how far away from what would be the old fairgrounds right now? How far would it be? A couple miles? Uh, yeah. A couple miles from here, an event happened that if you look at all the things that could have been different, if two that miles. would have. Mm -hmm. two, miles. two miles from where we sit right now, an event happened, a, a, a ghastly event. But if you really think about it, had, there was a real logical path. It doesn't take a lot of over dramatization to see how that event would have changed the entire history of the world, the world wars, everything. If you would have seen the international community 
and Missouri and different folks, you know, the, those events could have led to other events that would have changed the entire world. That's an in mm -hmm. interesting, you know, you, you think of the map of Europe would have been different spawning from something that happened two miles from here. Interesting way how dominoes fall in history. You know, actually, it's less than that because I keep thinking you got to go drive down yeah, yeah. south, as as you got to drive north. Then there He's was walking. no. There, <laughs> then there was no Highway 61. The town this wasn't divided from the yeah. from Heinz's farm. It, it mile and a half. Went straight, straight yeah. about a mile. Yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah. it was far I enough mean, from to, to walk to their own execution, which they did. Yeah. Well, we're gonna uh, with that. We're gonna take a break here. I'll show Missouri. This is Missouri one county. Time. First, I want to thank our sponsors: the Missouri Farm Bureau, Missouri Association of Counties, and the Missouri Association of Electric Call Blood. And it's coming to places like Marion County and talk about the rich history of our state, especially here in Palmyra. We'll be right back after this. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we're for the Missouri way of life. We're for worrying less about the what-ifs and more about the why-nots. We're for checking off your bucket list and then making a new one. We're starting a family, a business, a tradition. And if you find yourself starting over, we're here for that too. We're for building a life in Missouri and then going out and living it. And when it comes to making sure everything you've built is protected, we're for you. We are Missouri Farm Bureau Insurance, and we've got Missouri covered for life. Welcome back to Show Missouri. This is Missouri One County Time. This week we're in Marion County. Start off again thanking uh, the good folks at the Missouri Farm Bureau. Let us come and talk about the history of each county. We uh, we were able to talk them into sticking around. David Wilson, local historian. Thank you for uh, sticking with us, sir. Thank you. The presiding commissioner, David Lomax. Thank you, sir, for sticking with us. Good to be here. Uh, Representative Lewis Riggs, sir. I, I I don't know. I've ever enjoyed the first part of a civil war as much as I did the last one. I appreciate you staying with us. Thank you for sharing. And then uh, Henry Sweets, uh, the man that's gonna that's gonna star in the second part of this. He's the uh, the man with the Mark Twain uh, boyhood home and museum. Uh, we we waited till the start of the second segment. Tell me about the most famous uh, Marion County of all time. You say you've got three hours to go right now. <laughs> well, the uh, Clemens family um, started out when. John Marshall Clemens married uh, Jane Lampton down in Columbia, Kentucky. And shortly after that, they moved into Tennessee and lived in at least three small hamlets down in Tennessee. And Jane had a sister who'd married John Quarles and ended up out here in Florida, Missouri. And the Clemenses weren't doing so well down in Tennessee, and the Quarleses were writing glowing letters about Florida and its uh, future. So... John Marshall Clemens and Jane moved their family out to Florida, Missouri in 1835, and Samuel Clemens, the future Mark Twain, was born on November 30th of 1835 there in Florida. Well, in Florida, John Marshall is uh, running a general store with his brother-in-law, John Quarles, and the two had very different dispositions, and pretty soon they split, and each of them was running a general store, and Mark Twain uh, had commented that when he was born in Florida, he increased the population by 1% because the population was only about 100 at that time. And Clemens was not doing so well there, and Hannibal was starting to grow at this time. Uh, so they moved the family into Hannibal. And we mentioned that early on, Palmyra's population had gone up a lot higher than Hannibal, 
When the Clemens family moved to Hannibal, there were about 700 people there in 1839. By the time Sam Clemens leaves in 1853, it had grown to about 4,000. So it was a very growing period in uh, Hannibal history that Sam Clemens is sitting there in Hannibal. But he comes to Hannibal at about age four and lives in Hannibal through into age 17. So those growing up years uh, he experienced in Hannibal. And when you read Adventures of Tom Sawyer, uh, most of what he writes about are his own uh, adventures there in town. The description of schooling is very accurate to the type of schools they had. His experiences in church um, just... He's really writing his autobiography when he writes Tom Sawyer. And growing up there, uh, of course, he's uh, also surrounded by slaves. The Clemens family owned slaves itself. And after Mr. Clemens' fortunes went down, they rented a slave. Uh, It was a practice to rent slave children out to do the household chores. And so he was exposed to slavery in his own household as well as uh, out and around the community. And of course, as children, everyone played together. So he was uh, using this wonderful memory he had and building up the experiences that he had. And what was remarkable is that years later, he could think back and recall things with great accuracy from those early days. Uh, An example being a murder that took place in Hannibal when a store owner stepped out and shot a man down on the streets. And This appears as the killing of Boggs by Colonel Sherburn in Huckleberry Finn. And the original depositions that uh, now Judge Clemens took in Hannibal are still preserved. And if you read those and read Mark Twain's description, you'd think Mark Twain came back and read those before writing the story. He didn't. But 30-some-odd years later, he can recall that incident down to the finest detail. So those years he spent in Hannibal were very, very formative for him. And provided tremendous uh, background for his future writings. Um, When you take a look at some of his well-known river books, uh, of course, you have Tom Sawyer and Huckleberry Finn. Uh, Puddinhead Wilson also uh, has a town very reminiscent of Hannibal in it. And so all of these are taking a look back to that time that he spent uh, in our community. Um, His father... Uh, comes to town, uh, operates a general store for a while, and wanted to be involved in Hannibal politics. And before long, Orion, at too young of age, uh, the oldest boy was left in charge of the store, and the store went bankrupt. And at that point, uh, Mr. Clemens had to move the family out of the boyhood home, which we preserve at the museum, and move the family in with Dr. Grant across the river. I was going to cross the river, cross the street <laughs> into the uh, Grant's drugstore. And while he was there, he was running for clerk of the uh, circuit court. And uh, all the newspapers were saying that he was probably going to be elected. Well, he made a trip to, Han- to uh, Palmyra by horseback and was caught in a sleet storm and developed pneumonia and died. And Sam Clemens was 12 years old at that time. And pretty soon after that, he's taken out of school and apprenticed to a newspaper. And I think that education he had on the newspaper was better than what he would have had in school because uh, when you're setting type one letter at a time, you're learning your spelling and your punctuation and your grammar so you don't have to go back and make corrections after you've set your copy. 
And with his memory, this was starting to build up the vocabulary that he had to use later on. And working on a newspaper, you were not only uh, putting in the paper what your editor was writing, but newspapers were traded very widely and stories were copied from other papers. So he was seeing other people's writings. And on occasion, the editor would buy a book and they would run it in serial fashion in the paper to keep people buying the paper. So yeah. he was seeing a lot of uh, world news, uh, state news, um, uh, was really getting an education working on the newspaper. And his brother Orion went to St. Louis to learn the printing trade, came back and bought a newspaper, and he switched over to work for his brother. And finally, in 1853, he'd had enough and wanted to leave Hannibal. So he went to St. Louis, where his uh, married sister was living, to earn enough money to travel to New York City because he'd heard about the Crystal Palace exhibition and wanted to go see that. And that starts his travels out into the world. He does come back to Hannibal um, for a short period of time. Uh, When the Civil War broke out, the federal government took over the river traffic, and pilots had to sign an oath of allegiance to the federal government. And Sam Clemens, like many of the pilots, had too strong of southern sympathies to do that. So he left the river, comes back to Hannibal, uh, joins a group that... uh, is known as the Marion Rangers that were drilling, uh, supposedly to go off and join the Confederate Army. Uh, They traveled out into the countryside, and uh, they were out around the Florida-Missouri area when they learned that uh, there was a a lieutenant coming to look for people like them. It happened to be U.S. Grant. And the group disbanded, came back, and that was the end of his... uh, involvement, if you would call that, with the war. He never officially joined any group. He never officially uh, was a a Confederate soldier or a Union soldier. But um, right after that, his his brother had been appointed to be the secretary of the territory of Nevada. Uh, And he went out to Nevada with his brother. And so he was not here during the Civil War period. I have a, a personal story that intersects with him in Nevada. So I was at a conference once in um, Reno, and I took a trip up to Virginia City, mm-hmm. which is, uh, when you say take a trip to Virginia City, you essentially drive circular around a big mountain <laughs> to the top of this town that is that is uh, an old silver mining town. Mm-hmm. And so I read about the newspaper that he worked for. It was, uh, the, the story is, as, as I was told, was that, that Sam Clemens would cover the territorial legislature as for this large silver town that was mm-hmm. a boom and bust town and is now a tourist area, but bust otherwise. He would go to Carson City and he would cover the territorial legislature as Sam Clemens. And then it, then he would write his editorial column as Mark Twain about all the prostitutes and gambling and fighting and all the debauchery that would happen in the legislature at night. He would write as Mark Twain. And that's one of the things that got him noticed was these, I'm sure somewhat embellished, but somewhat based in truth, editorials he would write about all the debauchery. And all laugh out loud funny. Yeah. Well, and I bought the title hmm. of the Territorial Enterprise. Yeah, when he uh, headed out there, he did try his hand at the silver mining and prospecting and decided that was too much work. So he started sending some pieces to the Territorial Enterprise and... 
they eventually hired him on to be a reporter there. And at that point, uh, the territory of Nevada was petitioning the federal government for statehood. And Clemens and another man by the name of Clement Rice were sent to um, Carson City to cover this, the uh, Constitutional Convention. Well, it turned out that being government, uh, the Constitutional Convention had not provided any way to record their proceedings. And so Rice for one newspaper and Clemens for another were hired, and one covered the House and one covered the Senate. And so their reports were the official reports of those meetings, which they then sent to their newspaper. So double-dipping was uh, <laughs> known back then as well. And uh, he had already started using the uh, pseudonym or gnome de plume of Mark Twain. Uh, all the reporters on the Enterprise were young men, and uh, it just kind of was fashionable to think about writing with a, a pen name. So he had already started using Mark Twain, but certainly that started getting his recognition in that part of the country. It's uh, one of the most amazing Missouri, most amazing Americans of all time. Um, talk about a person whose life took him all over the world from right here in Hannibal, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I always, I've always liked, I'm not, I'm not as big a fan of his books as I am of the pieces he would write. And later it would be the transcript of some of his, I guess for lack of a one man show is what you'd call it, mm -hmm. uh, where he would just come and talk and people would pay and line Lectures. up. Lectures. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, he would always prove his points with humor. And I always thought it was a very Missouri way to go about it. He would never talk about himself as this great bastion of morality. In fact, he would talk about himself quite the opposite. However, he would point out the hypocrisy of others that did. I always thought he was so clever in how he approached those, how he used those approaches, because it, 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 at the same time it endeared him to his reader with, and made him almost impervious to criticism. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that what makes Mark Twain still pertinent today is the fact that with that power of observation, he was very observant of human nature. And human nature doesn't change much. And so when you think about so many of the little famous quips of his that you uh, see and you laugh about, well, you're laughing because what he said 100 years plus is still pertinent today. Um, you know, today we wouldn't uh, send a little boy out to whitewash a fence as punishment. But everybody would love to be able to talk somebody into doing their work and paying for it like Tom Sawyer does. And if you watch how Tom goes about it, the way he does it, you could use today. Yeah. You know, it, it, he's looking at the human nature. Pretending it's fun gets other people doing it. Uh, when you take a look at Huckleberry Finn, the issues that he spotted and was addressing in the book are still with us today. So the book was troublesome in its own time. It's troublesome today because it's approaching issues that haven't changed in all those years in between. And it's such an interesting commentary on, on history. I, I remember when I was a kid, it was I was at a very small, I went to a very small school down on the state line down by Arkansas, and they would pass out Huckleberry Finn. And it was just starting where someone had blacked out a couple of the words. It just took a Sharpie, you know. And you see the same things repeat over and over and over. And you see people like him are timeless because of, like you said, 
they use the parables, there's nothing new under the sun, and, and, and those things repeat. And it's so interesting how you can look back in history. And what an important uh, person he's been for America. That's got to, I mean, to spend that much time on something, you could sure, it'd be very hard to find anyone more interesting to spend such time researching and telling folks about. Yeah, he's, uh, and his books really transcend all society. So yeah. when you take a look at it, he's a world author. He's not just an American author. And we will have anywhere from 60 to 70 different countries sign our guest register in the course of a year. People that are interested in coming to see the, the locale, the buildings, uh, what inspired Mark Twain. And they come from literally all around the world to come back to Hannibal because they know particularly through the book Tom Sawyer, everybody who reads Tom Sawyer is told it's written about Hannibal. So there's that connection with Mark Twain and Hannibal that is very unusual. Um, I challenge people to name another author that you identify with one town. It's like Walt Disney, you know, a transformational figure in the world being from Marceline. Mm -hmm. Mickey Mouse isn't from Marceline. No. And average person across the country wouldn't know Marceline no. to tie to Walt Disney. Yeah. But all you have to do is say you're from Hannibal, and they either think of Mark Twain or they think of Tom Sawyer. You know, that, that association is there. And I even challenge people to name a U.S. president that you identify with one town. I see a lot of blanks. I, I, I see a blank look around here. You independence know, independence there. Uh, I would uh, say uh, that, but I wonder if the rest of the world would. Yeah. Other than George Washington and Mount Vernon, I don't think there's a president that's even tied to a town like Mark Twain is with Hannibal. So it is a very, very unusual yeah. relationship that we have. His, his astuteness as far as the human condition. So suppose I were an idiot. Suppose a I'm a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. <laughs> yeah. um, here was a guy who literally named the Gilded Age the Gilded Age. Why? Because he watched it. He saw it. He's talking to these people. He knows these people. By the time he dies, he's the most famous human on the planet. Yeah. We're, we're talking yeah. Muhammad Ali yeah. recognition, 1910. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Riggs mentions the uh, the Gilded Age was a book that he co-authored with Charles Dudley Warner, that was an expose of the political corruptness of their time period. And today, when you open an American history book and you get to that section, it's usually the Gilded Age is what's across the top of your book. Um, but he he just he traveled. He was always on the forefront of what was going on. If you think about being a steamboat pilot at the time that the river is king, he goes west, he's in the mining camps as the mining camps are being developed in the west. He goes over to California, uh, goes to Florida, is one of the first people other than a missionary, uh, uh, excuse me, Florida, Hawaii, to go over to the uh, Sandwich Islands. And he's one of the first people other than a missionary to write about that, comes back, goes on the first cruise ship that left the United States, headed for Europe, goes over and tours Europe and the Holy Lands. Just all the way along, he's right on the forefront of what's taking place. And he was a tremendously avid reader himself, so he's keeping up on all these things. And as an example, he read about this newfangled thing called fingerprints that was being used to solve crimes. And in his book, Puddinghead Wilson, to our knowledge, that's the first time that an author used fingerprints to solve a crime in literature. 
he just read about it and he incorporated that into his next book. It would be you took an interesting study it would be to study another this is more of an adopted Missourian, but Joseph Pulitzer and how they lived at a similar time and Pulitzer was nominally well he was a Union soldier, I don't know how accomplished, but he certainly was in the Union Army. Joseph Pulitzer was um, one of your colleagues. He actually was in elected office in the Missouri legislature. Um, he took a more formal track to media at the time, mm -hmm. and, and Twain certainly took a, a different track in how their lives kind of correspond and track each other mm -hmm. from different different landscapes of of, uh, of the media, but but very both tied to tied to Missouri. Mm -hmm. Well, Commissioner, let me ask you where do, where do folks today? when they live in Marion County, where do they work at? We've got a large chemical facility to the east of us, and it's, it's on the river, and it is roughly where Marion City was, uh, maybe a couple hundred yards south of the actual site of Marion City. Uh, originally, American Cyanamid, now BASF. It's changed hands a couple of times over the years. Uh, farming is still a large industry. Uh, we've got not as much as we used to, but a large uh, number of people commute to Quincy, go across the bridge, and uh, to either Napide, Gardner, Denver, uh, Titan Wheel, or one of the other manufacturing facilities. Uh, there's a getting more and more. Uh, yeah. General Mills, Hamill Regional Hospital, Hamill Regional Hospital is huge. Uh, General Mills. They open now, right, Representative? Oh, yeah. You took care of that this week. Wow. We're, we're fine. <clears throat> and, uh, we're, and we're seeing the, seeing the trend more and more to people that work remotely yeah. coming in here. Uh, my wife being one of them. She's an engineer she for a at? chemical company in, uh, for Ascend Performance Materials in Houston. Oh, wow. And uh, she can work anywhere. She's got a hot broadband connection. Representative, tell me where broadband is in, in Marion County. Well, it's um, in the cities, and we're trying to get it out farther into the county. We have several local close providers. To the Bluebird, area. Bluebird rural broadband mm -hmm. is just a little bit west of here, right? But you're on the fringe of Bluebird's area. We we have several regional providers: uh, yeah. Mark Twain, Sheraton Valley, Rawls County, in particular, mm -hmm. are the, the three that come to mind immediately. Uh, so we're addressing these issues. We still have some problems because of the agricultural presence is what we do. Uh, we, we have folks, I have the stories from folks who, I'll just say one was in a combine last year and son was in the cab. It's like, Dad, what, what, what went wrong here? It's like, son, that's where the internet ends. So he went from laser beam precision to the line of sight. That, that's a common refrain around here. So we're working on it. We've got some providers who are uh, stepping up. Um, and a lot of that Cures Act money that, that came yeah. out. Uh, is, is going to work for us up in the northeast region. Um, we have a ways to go yet, but uh, we're working on it. Uh, you know, it seems like every, every, um, every innovation has went to drive people away from rural areas, to drive people to the cities. Every, almost every technological advantage has done that. Then you had a few that drove people to the suburbs, but for the most part, you want the big urban centers. Rural broadband is the first thing that can bring people home if that's where they want to live. Well, we're seeing that. Um, Mark Twain Lake area in particular, folks who typically were up on the weekends, um, St. Louis area, well, now they're here to stay because, you know, frankly, I, they want the sunlight, they want the hunting and fishing, but they're able to do something from their homes. Why wouldn't you? I confirmed this uh, just this morning. Missouri's census has been delayed another two weeks. 
because there was a you know a lot of it this time because the code was done via algorithms and computer models. This time it was done. There, there were so many people moving their primary address from other part other states of Lake of the Ozarks that it like threw the algorithm and they were like they had to stop and investigate what's going on here and had to like sort of contact people. When did you actually move? Because we have you know. But it, it was so many people moving their official addresses from Omaha, Iowa, Kansas City to the lake that the whole computer system said there's a problem or something's not right. And I, I, I don't know why, if there's broadband, why that trend doesn't do anything but, but continue. It will continue. It will continue. We're, we're going to see that accelerate from now until the foreseeable mm -hmm. future. I don't see that slacking off at any point. So um, tell me... Uh, Mr. Wilson, about the schools here. What, what, where, do, where do folks go to school here in Marion County? Uh, the public school systems here in Marion County. You've got uh, uh, Marion County R2, which is at Philadelphia. Uh, uh, tell folks where Philadelphia is from, from uh, Palmyra. 12, 12, west 13 here, west. Something yeah. like that to the west. Yeah. That's yeah. the majority of the western side of the county goes to Philadelphia? Yes, mm -hmm. or Monroe City. Okay. And uh, Monroe City joins Marion County. Uh, you've got uh, Palmyra R1, which is uh, another fine system, and then the Hannibal Public School System. We're, we're very blessed with great public schools in Marion County. And then we've got uh, parochial system. We've got St. John's. In, mm -hmm. uh, in Hannibal. St. John's Lutheran and Hannibal Mission Holy Hill. Family. Mission Hill here in Palmyra, which is uh, uh, an independent Baptist uh, uh, school. And then uh, Holy Family in Hannibal. Holy Family. Holy Rosemary in Monroe City. Which is the Catholic uh, parochial system. And we still have the Lutheran uh, preschool here, uh, Zion Lutheran, which used to be K through 8 preschool through eight, but now it's it has dwindled back to where it's just preschool. There, there's still a large, and there's a large number of homeschool Home, Yeah, homeschool has just blown up in the last several years, especially with COVID. Uh, I, I can't, I, I have so much respect for folks that can homeschool. I can never do it. Yeah. My kids would be illiterate, and it would be, <laughs> the state probably take them away, I figure. About a year homeschooling for me. But, um, so uh, what's the big rivalry game? Who, who's Palmyra's rival? Is it basketball? Monroe City. Monroe. Monroe City. Palmyra Panthers versus the Monroe City Panthers, whether it's basketball or football. Whatever it is. Or, 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 you name it. Name it. True story. I was actually at a church in Monroe City. Um, my son was part of a, a, an ensemble group that sang, I'll just say it, First Baptist Church, Monroe City. It's a fact. Uh, one of the folks identified himself as being from Palmyra, and he was booed in church. Now, it was a fun <laughs> boo, but they booed him. <laughs> I kid you not. <laughs> <laughs> now, who's Hannibal's rival? Who do they play? Jeff well, Elias is uh, one. Moberly is probably the one that we have ha Hannibal most. has a little bit of a problem that uh, because of its size and where it classes in the uh, sports, there's nobody close. Yep. So you're traveling quite a bit. But uh, Columbia and Jefferson City, uh, going back decades, have been, um, you know, Columbia Hickman and Jeff City have been two of the biggest rivals. Uh, today, uh, they've gone up, I think, one more level <laughs> in size. So Moberly's one of probably 
the biggest one right now. We were the smallest 4A school in the state, and yeah. we're, we're not the smallest anymore. So, yeah, Mobley's probably our number one. Yeah. Marshall, to a lesser extent, but, yeah. Mobley. Well, Marshall's a drive. That's a drive. Well, yeah, I mean, for, from Hannibal to, to get to our nearest yeah. opponent, if you're talking Mexico or, you know, you're about an hour out to our nearest yeah. opponent. <laughs> Fulton, yeah, but Mobile, I think, is the one that's really heated rivalry with soccer yeah. and, and football both. Where would Kirksville, where would they, would they be, a 3A? Yeah, and they're, that's a different different conference. We do not play Kirksville okay. once in a blue moon. Yeah. So uh, when um, we're talking about, where, where, is there a co-op here? Uh, municipal utilities, how do folks get power here? Uh, Missouri Rural Electric Co-op handles everything outside the city. Uh, Northeast Missouri Electric Co-op uh, up here north of town is actually a regional distributor, uh, and they go well up into Iowa, down into south-central Missouri. But they're, I think they only have two or three large generating plants, but they're like the, the distribution broker. They sell it to the co-op. Ameren. Uh, generates in the St. Louis area, and they provide power for the city of Hannibal, the city of Palmyra, city of Canton. Uh, I don't know if they provide Monroe City or not. I think they do. Uh, so uh, tell me about uh, politicals. I always thought Hannibal <coughs> was more of a Democrat area uh, over time. In uh, the history of, you know, it's funny how people make a big thing about party. The folks pretty much are the same are the same. The parties change somewhat in rural Missouri. Yes. But I always thought of Marion County, Rawls County as more of a Democrat area. Is that? It always was until about 15 years ago, 10, something 15, like that. Yeah. Uh, I was I was appointed to fill an unexpired term as county coroner, and then I had to run for the office. And Fourth of July parade, which is tomorrow in Hannibal, big shindig in, in, in an election year, and. Uh, Shaking, you know, walking down the street, shaking. That's why they call it running for office, because you you got your little your trailer, your car, and you run back and forth across the street, <laughs> talking to people. And this one older lady, and it was in front of the was it the Elks Lodge? It's down on Main mm -hmm. Street. Uh, you know, hi, I'm Dave Lomax. I'm running for county coroner. I said, oh, I couldn't possibly vote for you, young man. And she said, well, I have to vote for the Democrat. And I said, well, you know, you try to explain, you know, well, you know. The coroner's job is really a police officer's job. I have a degree in criminal investigation. You know, my opponent runs a funeral home. Uh, and she said, no, you don't understand. If Mickey Mouse was on the Democratic ticket, I'd have to vote for him. And she was dead serious. <laughs> and the Courier-Post reporter caught it and ran, ran our picture and ran it on front page or second page. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that may have been the... Part of the turning point that people are saying, why are we doing this? Well, <laughs> but, people uh, forget, but in Missouri history, the Democrats had the majority in legislature for 40-some years. <laughs> and they, they took it over in the House, but there was there was three special elections. There was the one um, there was one in the city of St. Louis for Lacey Clay to become a congressman who, who had moved up. Uh, then there was one the Republicans were sure to win. Uh, then there was one up here. Coughlin. Joe Maxwell become lieutenant governor, mm -hmm. yep. and it was election night in Northeast Missouri, is where the Republicans took the majority, uh, and have yep. turned them into majorities and never looked back. But that that happened right here in, in Northeast Missouri with John Cawthorn. It's it's funny people don't remember that name as much, but oh, boy, he he shows up every so often. That guy was yeah. a, a pivotal pivotal person uh, in Missouri history, winning that race to to fill that term. 
Uh, so today, is it a, like other parts of rural Missouri, a pretty solid Republican? Or? It, the, the pendulum has swung. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, the gentleman that I defeated three years ago, two years ago, three years ago, uh, had run for, run for presiding commissioner in 1994, 96, somewhere along in there, and did 24 years as a Democrat. And that was his first comment when uh, I eked it out by 500 or so votes as well. The pendulum has swung, swung back the other direction. But now, in the last election, the sheriff, sheriff, public administrator, and, and assessor. assessor all switched parties. Yeah. Same people, just ran as a Republican. And, and probably didn't do anything differently over no. the next day. Just get, you <laughs> well, know. It, it is interesting, though. I think that is a, that is a real... Rural Missouri started voting um, the federal level with Reagan. Then sometime around John Cawthorn, folks started voting at the state level Republican. Uh, and then the last, real, really with Trump, people started voting the county courthouse level. In Dunklin County, places that have been Democrat since they were places. I mean, there was never a Republican in Dunklin County. Not when they formed the county, not ever. Reconstruction would have been the only time, and they didn't get elected. They got appointed. Um, they there were people that no one ever heard of in town that filed and, and, and beat incumbents because the pendulum swung so hard so fast that it just people started voting one way, and they just didn't didn't stop to read the names even. Yeah, my mom was appointed to the board of cosmetology by a Democrat uh, governor. Uh, my dad was the president of the Bricklayers local in Hannibal. And I teased him in 1980 that he had voted for Reagan, and I said, I thought you were a Democrat. He said, I am. I said, you voted for Reagan. And he said, well, he said, the pendulum swings. He said, the, he said I haven't changed. I didn't go off and leave the Democrat Party. The Democrat Party went off and left me. He said, the Republicans are now where the Democrats used to be. That's correct. It is amazing to me. You think of unions as a city thing, or at least I do. In Southeast Missouri, there are. Nobody even knows their UPS guy's a Teamster. Just, just mm -hmm. Unions are just not part of the public consciousness. There's no union halls where I'm from. Uh, but it's so interesting up here in northeast Missouri. There are bricklayers' halls all over the place. Aaron Baker, nobody's a bigger Republican than Baker, was marriage reception, was in, a, is in the uh, bricklayers' hall. Mm -hmm. uh, it is, the, 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 there is a couple unions. Carpenters are throughout the state a little bit. Ended up in northern Missouri. There's bricklayers' That is a union that stuck around, and 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 I, I don't know about today, IFM. but certainly still has a presence. Laborers you know? doing a remodeling pro remodeling project about a year ago, and stuff down into the wall. And I guess whoever was built, you know, carpenters that were building the house had the had the Palmyra Spectator and the Hannibal Labor Press, mm -hmm. and they were pristine. They were just dropped into the wall. They sheet rocked over it. And we found them uh, when we well, pulled it out. I took them to the Spectator here. Uh, there were something like right? there were something yeah. like 19 unions in Hannibal, of which I think there's maybe two now. Well, I mean, people forget. I when, even I mean, when insurance I first started workers had times. I came up, and it, it was the. Um, I certainly mean no offense to anybody, and I guess this would be Rawls County. It is the most disgusting hotel I'd ever stayed in my life. It was um, the Democrats had their big event. It, oh. it had an indoor pool, the chlorine. You had to have a couple of drinks because <laughs> yeah. your eyes was, And I apologize yeah. if anybody owned the hotel, but whoever owned the hotel had not done a lot to it in a while. Yep. And, I mean, it is. it, it looked like the type of place we had in Poplar Bluff that was probably very nice when it was built. They just hadn't done a lot to it since they built it. 
And I mean, it, it was it was so charming because you had people from all over the state, mostly St. Louis and Kansas City, come to this statewide Democrat days. It wasn't in Columbia, it wasn't in Kansas City, it wasn't St. Louis. It was in Hannibal, and it was a, it was a neat experience that I hate I hated to see. I think has gone by the wayside for the most well, part. Yes, it has. And I, know, I, I started working back in the mid 1980s for Harold Volkmer, who was yeah. the most pro-life, pro-gun Democrat probably who ever lived. And Harold left office in 1996. Uh, long story short, there wasn't a nickel's worth of difference between Republicans and Democrats on the big issues that matter, and those are the top two. And, you know, Brian Munslinger basically started the, the dominoes falling up here. Cawthorn in the 18th district, then Munslinger 2002 up in the first in the far northeast corner. Lindell Shoemake followed down here 2010. First Republican, what, 130 some years. Um, so I've started off on, on the, the Democratic side of things, and Harold basically shielded us from a very unpleasant reality in, in, in Washington, D.C., as long as he was there. And Harold would get up publicly and talk, say nice things about Kit Bond. And people would criticize, well, what do you, he's a Republican. He's like, Kit Bond knows roads and bridges like nobody else in Missouri. He returns my phone calls. We work together. We build things together. I'm just telling you the truth. I can work with this man. I'm not sure there's a Missourian that has ever that has influenced this state more. Oh, you put Thomas Hart Benton in that discussion than Kit Bond. I would His agree sole with that. focus mm -hmm. was on us. And, and I know that you know that doesn't get you an interview on Fox News. Doesn't get you a bunch of likes on Facebook. But more Missourians are impacted by things he did for this state as governor. If you look back, a lot of the laws that you implement today. They germinated from that first term. Now, the second term wasn't as eventful, but that first term, you had some of those old senators who were in the prime of their careers, and Kip Baum was a deal-maker, you know, the first Republican governor in a very long time, um, could serve two terms, was, you know, because Hearns, that became when he, his predecessor got that during his first term. So you knew Kip Baum, he didn't get, he, didn't, he served two terms, not, not consecutively, but... I'm not sure anybody's ever done as much for this state as Kip Bond. Parents as teachers. I mean, you, you look at some of the things. Yeah. That was the first program that's came in the country, you know. And Kit was just one of those guys. He was always trying to figure out how to do it better, and how can I help Missouri? You know, don't know Dorn East State, not anymore. Yeah. Uh, we're going to go out there and get our fair share. And he just rolled the sleeves up and he just got it done. And it's, uh, I don't know that you ever could give Kit Bond enough his due. And then. You, know, you go to Kansas City, he's still revered to this day for all the things he did there. He, he's adopted that town. Um, but anyway, yeah, it's, uh, it is, it's, that, that's an interesting political thing. But one of the last places I saw to really take hold of, of that pendulum swinging, it really was in not, not just northeast Missouri. It was in the Hannibal area, and you had the deep boot heels where the courthouses flipped last. That was pretty much even little Dixie flipped. They don't, you know, you'll notice some of those towns like Saline County, they're Republican now, but they're not, like, Butler County's like 90-10 Republican, where Saline County's like 60-40. That margin is not, it is not a blowout margin, but it is, it is, a, you know, a solid Republican county. It's just interesting to see how that, that change has crept through. Um, well, last thing I want to ask you all, I, I, I know we've went along, but it's one of the more, more enjoyable ones we've done, and I want to thank uh, the Missouri Association of Counties, the Missouri Association of Electric Co-ops, and the Missouri Farm Bureau for letting us come talk about places at, like uh, like Marion County. And uh, there's obviously a lot to talk about, and we have. But, um, Commissioner, let me ask you, if you took somebody up here for the day, where would you take them in Marion County, and what should they know about folks here? 
I would take them obviously through the Mark Twain area, uh, through the cave, through the cave, through the museum. Uh, I'd take them to dinner at probably the Rebel Pig over here. Uh, it's one of the best barbecue I've run across in a long time. Yep. Uh, if they like Mexican, El Nopal across the road. We're, we're blessed to have two of those. Uh, if they want to, if they're interested in education, I would take them both to Mission Hill Christian Academy and probably Marion County R2 School. Uh, I've had a lot of people say we want to move to Marion County. What's where's the borderline between the school districts? Because they they either want to be in Lewis County C1 or they want to be in Marion County R2. Not there anything bad with Talmire or Hannibal, but they're. The, the very small school, individualized attention, yep. and they're look, they're looking for that, and then to probably talk about you know what what do we what what do you what does your county have to offer me why why should I move here uh, we're low ta low taxes friendly people good schools good churches plenty of places to go work. And I've I've worked I worked for General Electric I worked for Siemens I traveled all over the world I kept coming back here, and I'm staying here I like this place. Mr. Wilson, what would you uh, show somebody here in Marion County? Well, on the history part of it, I would start. Quite honestly, uh, the two things that stick out in my mind I'd take them out to the north end of Palmyra. And I would show them uh, 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 Sour's grave. Is that right, Sour? Founder of the Pony Express. Russell. 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 William Russell. I'd show them Russell's grave. One of the th Russell, uh, Waddell, and Major. Uh, Waddell out of uh, St. Joe, and Major out of Kansas City. And Russell came from Palmyra. Founded the Pony Express, buried right out here in the North End. And I would take them and show them the Crookshank graves in Hannibal, up on top of uh, Lover's Leap, or whatever that, that Riverside, Cemetery. Riverside Cemetery Riverside on the backside of, uh, yeah. And, and, that's, and then we would go and check out the Crookshank Mansion and the, and the, uh, and the uh, Mark Twain things in Hannibal. And I, then I would take them around and show them the various places here in Palmyra. Virtually all of the old homes and the buildings here in Palmyra were built in the 1830s. Hmm. Uh, I mean, the town was literally built in the 1830s, and it hasn't changed. It's still here. There was a, a house just up the street here that they were remodeling. And they had taken all this new siding off. And here that house was a log cabin. Here were these hand-hewn logs that were 20 inches. And I couldn't believe it. I never realized it was a log cabin. And what did they do? They covered it all back up with brand new vinyl siding. And oh. I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> That's what they did. Preserved it for the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mr. Swedes, where would you take somebody if they came and visit? 
well, the museum. Well, well obviously, uh, the Mark Twain <laughs> Museum is what is bringing so many people here. But if you just talk with someone and find out what their interest is, you can find almost anything around us. Because we have the manufacturing. We have a large uh, number of manufacturing plants in Hannibal. Uh, if they're uh, medical-oriented uh, with the... Uh, uh, Hannibal Clinic, the Hannibal Regional Hospital, uh, education, as we've talked about, you could head that way. Uh, if they're interested in agriculture, we have farming all around with some tremendously old and successful farms. Uh, there's just, uh, right here, we've got such a, a mixture of things. And from a large, larger town of Hannibal, roughly 18,000, to Palmyra, to Philadelphia, you've got... Uh, just a, a huge variety to show people. Representative, you brought up old, you brought Halks up from Warrington, uh, Warren, uh, Warrensburg. Where would you take him? What would you show him? What would I show him? Well, to start off, and, and Henry's always said this, there's, there's a lot more to handle than Mark Twain, but we're going to start with the Mark Twain yeah. boy at home. It's an eight-building eight campus now. Uh, I'm going to take him down the riverfront. If he wants to take a, a, a cruise during the day, he can. He wants to take a dinner cruise during the night, he can do that too. Um, basically, going to walk down the riverfront and see the best view of the upper Mississippi anywhere besides maybe Dubuque. Um, we're going to start there. Uh, after we get through with that, we're going to come up here. I'm going to feed him uh, someplace up here, probably Rebel Pig, maybe El Nepal, something. Um, but I also want to take him through our schools. I want to take him through our medical campus. And I always tell folks this, I'll put my ACT scores up in my district with anybody else's district in the state. Yep. And the secret sauce is so many of the people who teach in those buildings were taught in those buildings. We, we bring our teachers back. Second and third generation. They, they know these kids. They know their families. They, they see them in stores. They see them at ball games. That's our secret sauce is not just the class size, but the fact of who's teaching these kids actually were taught in those same buildings. So they were poured into in those buildings. They, they pour back out. Uh, and it, it's a great dynamic. We've got some amazing educational institutions up here doing amazing things every day, and we're not sitting still, and that's the beauty part of us. If we could uh, reconcile that uh, gap, you know, with the broadband, people have tablets, they can't, you know, upload, download assignments from home, that would be a huge increase for us in terms of what we can do day by day. Uh, but th those are the primary things we're, we're going to talk about. And that medical campus, uh, Hannibal Regional Hospital, we just a $60 million expansion in the last couple of years. I'll put that up against any other campus of a town our size anywhere in the state. Uh, we, we just keep on doing really good things. We've got a lot of really good people in the right place at the right time, and we're, we're just moving things forward every single day. And that's, that's the beauty of doing what I do is I get to be a small part of that. Well, thank you. The commission appreciate the hospitality. I, I, uh, easily one of the most enjoyable uh, shows we've done here in Show Missouri. Thank you so much for having us, and we will see you next week on Show Missouri, the history of Missouri, one county at a time. Down in Missouri, when I heard this lullaby, while the stars were blinking and the moon was shining high.